Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. We're going to be looking this morning at the book of Daniel, and we're actually going to be bringing this, this book to a close. Um, we've spent several weeks studying the book of Daniel. Um, God willing, early this summer, we're going to jump into the book of Revelation. But the book of Daniel has been an incredible, incredible insight into God's heart for people, what it means to be a... a um, what it means to live as a godly person in an ungodly culture. Uh, what, it gives us an insight into God's plans for the future. And I was reminded of a story uh, recently. When I was a kid, um, my, my grandparents would come and pick us up oftentimes from school. And there was this big round circle that um, cars would go around and, you know, like elementary was over here and middle school was up here and high school was up here. It was a small Christian school. And, and my grandparents would come pick us up. And one day, I was a young lad, probably in my like five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. And I remember as the days or as the hours or the minutes went by, there was kids getting picked up left and right and left and right, left and right. And there was no ride for me. And I was like, oh no, what happened? Because one of the things I just did not care for was being left. I, I never wanted to be left. And then you have to go to the after school care program and all this kind of stuff. As I was waiting, I remember that day waiting, waiting, waiting because I'd been forgotten. Eventually my grandpa's blue Cadillac pulls around the corner. I'm like, yes, I'm not by myself. But as a little guy, I remember being afraid because I was left alone and I didn't know when my grandpa was going to get there. I had this sinking, this lonely feeling. And sometimes when we look back on history or we walk in the time of history even here today, we have this sinking feeling. It's like, God, what is going on in the world around us? I mean, imagine Daniel, right? He's 15 or so years old. He's picked up out of his home. He's taken several hundred miles away to live and to serve in a country that's not his own. And he learns moment by moment what it means to have trust that Yahweh would bring his people back. He, he knew certain prophecies, like prophecies from the book of Jeremiah, which said, after 70 years of captivity, I will bring you back. And at various points, he's going, Lord, is it now? And he's waiting there, kind of like, maybe like me, waiting for my grandpa to show up. God constantly tells Daniel it's going to be okay. <laughs> Stay committed to what I've given you here. And he also gives Daniel the gift of explaining some of what will come in the future. And that's what we're going to look at as we finish up this book. So Pastor Tom last week took us from chapter 10 all the way to halfway through chapter 11. And he basically recounted for us various historical events that took place. What I want to do today as we finish the book is begin in verse 36 and go forward uh, from 36 and look at the things yet to come. It's my understanding of the passage that we look at today that these things refer to things that have not happened yet, but that will happen. And, and it's amazing to look at words of prophecy because you go, wow, God, you said this would happen, and it did, which gives us confidence, 
When we go, Lord, what's going on in the world today that what God has said God will do, we can trust him. We can trust him. There's reasons to study Daniel. Uh, confidence in the character of God. He does what he says. Another reason to study Daniel is thankfulness at the details that God reveals for the benefit of his people. Another reason to study Daniel is it gives hope amidst dark days. More than once, God says, there's a time of persecution, Daniel, for your people, but don't worry, it won't last forever. Even though it may be tough, I will step in. Another reason to study Daniel, though, is it should give us a renewed passion to walk after God. And that's where I want to head as we kind of close our time in this book today. So if you would read with me, please, we're going to begin by reading um, Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to the end of the chapter. And then we'll pick up in chapter 12 in just a moment. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. Then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say outrageous things against the god of gods. He'll be successful until the time of wrath is completed, because what has been decreed will be accomplished. He will not show regard for the gods of his fathers, the god longed for by women, or for any other god. Because he will magnify himself above all. Instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God his fathers did not know with silver, gold, precious stones, and riches. He will deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. He will greatly honor those who acknowledge him, making them rulers over many, distributing land as a reward. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, but the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He will invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land, and many will fall, but these will escape from his power, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of the Ammonites. He will extend his power against the countries, and not even the land of Egypt will escape. He will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the riches of Egypt. The Libyans, the Cushites will also be in submission, but reports from the east and the north will terrify him and he will go out with great fury to annihilate and completely destroy many. He will pitch his tents, his royal tents between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. The word of the Lord. So we jump into this and we go, okay, you've just come, Daniel, from seeing a vision where there's um, kind of armies and all these kind of things happening. Why is there a transition at verse 36? Why is it talking about someone different? I love the way one scholar puts it. He says, in verses 27 and 29 of chapter 11, the appointed time referred to Antiochus's pogrom against the Jews that was to begin. He says, here the time of the end is the time when the final pogrom against the Jews in this age is set to begin, i.e. the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. It's kind of like this. There's going to be a darkening. This is a photo taken in Beirut. Beirut, if you know, has kind of been riddled throughout the last several decades of wars and, and famines and really challenging living conditions, uh, significant inflation, bombs going off in the harbor. And it's as if God is describing at the end of the age, there's a darkening event that takes place where things get worse and they get worse and they get worse. Now Daniel's hearing this and he's going, oh, 
right? Because when you hear about how things get worse, it can heavy your heart really quickly. We see this historically because as Tom talked about last week and we've talked about before, when Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, a Seleucid ruler, comes in, he does incredible damage against the Jewish people. He, he not only throws down the, um, the altar, he puts a pig on the altar and desecrates it. That turns into incredible persecution of the Jewish people because he didn't just want to make them less, um, less Jewish, he wanted to do them harm. And Antiochus becomes a kind of type or a kind of um, a symbol. He's a real ruler, but, but a symbol, something that we can look at historically and go, it's going to be kind of like this at the end of the age when the Antichrist comes in and it gets really, really dark. We're descending in this prophecy into a period of history where darkness comes upon the world, but it's also the sunset, one writer says, of the present era of world history. Something to look forward to in one respect. In Daniel 11, verses 36 through 45, describe, I believe, a, a different ruler, not Antiochus. And there's a couple of reasons for this. I mean, we see some similar things between the two. Like he opposes God, he persecutes God's people, he seeks to make his name great. And even though there's these similar descriptions, I don't think they refer to Antiochus because they're not fully consistent with all of his historical actions. In fact, the actions listed here, beginning in verse 36 and following, refer to things that go beyond what Antiochus does. In verse 36, it indicates that he prospers until the indignation is finished. Antiochus has long been gone, but Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says there's a coming indignation. So I don't think it refers to Antiochus because if it was, why is Jesus talking about a coming indignation? Also, as we've studied Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 and other passages in the New Testament, they describe a coming kingdom after the time of Antiochus. You might remember back to Daniel 7, where we're introduced to four kingdoms. You have the first beast, the second beast, third beast, fourth beast, and then there's really kind of a fifth beast. It's, it's not like the first four, but it's kind of like the fourth, but it's not the same. I call it like four plus. It's like four on steroids. Um, we, we're introduced to four kingdoms there. We find out through our study that the second kingdom is the kingdom of Medo-Persia. The third kingdom is the kingdom of Greece from which Antiochus comes. And so there's this fourth kingdom that I think is Roman, or I think it's the, the, the nation of Rome or, or the, the culture of Rome. And then we have this fifth kingdom that pops up in Daniel chapter seven, which says there's 10 horns from it and there's one horn that comes and it subdues three of them and he wages war against God and his saints. And we're, we see there this, this, um, this verbiage that we'll look at in our passage today where it says that he does this for a time, times, and half a time. Basically three and a half somethings. Three and a half somethings. And we find this also in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, if you just want to flip back there really quickly, in Daniel chapter 9, we studied the prayer, and in Sunday school, in the second hour, we studied the last several verses, and I'm just going to read beginning in verse 24 and make a quick comment or two about uh, verse 27, but he says in Daniel 9, 
verse 24, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your holy people in your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to stop, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. He said, God tells him, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now these are weeks of years that are going on here. And he says, this rebuilding of Jerusalem is marked by, in verse 25, it says, it'll be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, which describes a time in which Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds as a part of a rebuilding effort with a plaza and a moat. But it says, after those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and we'll have nothing. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end will come with a flood. And until the end, there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And verse 27 focuses on something yet to come. He will make a firm covenant. The he person being there is the one who's coming against God's people. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. The reason I wanted to read that is twofold. Number one, as soon as we read Daniel chapter 12, we've read the whole book together as a church, which is a really cool thing. The second reason is I want you to just know that we're given in Daniel chapter 9 this picture of what's going to happen from the time of Daniel until the time when the Messiah is cut off. And then it's picked up and we're given a chronology of what's going to happen after that. That there's going to be a final week where there is... um, a covenant made with many, with the nations. And in the middle of the week, there's going to be a stop to sacrifice, an offering, and then destruction begins. So that's where this kind of picks up and it ties together fairly well with the rest of the book. Daniel 9 describes that. And I think what we're reading about in Daniel chapter 11, when we engage this king of the north who is engaged by the king of the south, refers to the future Antichrist because Everything that we see here is everything Antiochus did and then some more. How do these verses describe this Antichrist's actions? Look with me, verse 36. He does as he pleases and he magnifies himself. It says his prospering will continue until the indignation is finished. He's a person at the end of the age who shows no regard for the, guard, for the gods of his fathers. In other words, what's marked by this time is that he has a religious upbringing or a tradition, but he does not regard it. He does not follow in that path. He, um, how's it phrased here? He, he um, the, so he will not show regard for the gods of his fathers, the God longed for by women, or for any other God. And notice what, because he will magnify himself above all. Now, above all is interesting there too, because um, Antiochus magnifies himself, but he still did not put himself on the level of the gods. This is a person who actually puts himself on the level of the gods. He honors a God of fortresses, verse 38 says. This is the idea of strength or military power. War becomes something that describes who he is and what he does. It's distinct from those who come before him. He honors strength, or he honors this idea of strength and military power with financial resources. For this person, 
For this anti-Messiah, power is his God. He, he takes up actions against strongest of fortresses. This is a military component here, I think, with the help of a foreign God, verse 39 talks about. When we jump down to verse um, 34, it, or sorry, not 34, um, verse 44, uh, towards the end, the king of the south comes and fights him. And he prevails for a time. We see that 40 through 44. There's this battle that goes up, uh, goes on. And it actually tells us where the battle is. Um, at the end, he, he will invade the beautiful land, a reference to Israel. Many will fall, but there's some who escape his power. Verse um, 44, down in there, uh, he gains control over stuff. But in verse 44, it says, But reports from the east and north will terrify him. He will go out with great fury to annihilate and completely destroy many. Do you get why this is such a dark time? <laughs> like, it's just destruction, destruction, destruction. To destroy many, he will pitch his royal tents between the seas. Uh, it's, it's a plural word there, probably referring to the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea and the beautiful holy mountain. But he will meet his end with no one to help him. So you have all this picture of destruction, 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 this war and stuff that's going on within the area of Israel. And it seems pretty daunting. But I, I love how in Daniel's vision, it's all this description. And then the last part of verse 45 says, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. You know, so it's like he's there and then boom, he's not. <laughs> it, it, it's like he's taken care of by someone with great power. There's not this engaged long battle at the end of age. And I love what one scholar writes about this. He says, the culmination of this chapter is almost anticlimactic, which would have been an enormous encouragement to the people of Israel. When all is said and done, those who resist God come to nothing. They're ruined and there is none to help. From the New Testament, he says, we learn much more about the ultimate fate of the Antichrist and killed, including that the Antichrist himself is killed by the word from Christ's mouth in 2 Thessalonians. Then is raised with a body that cannot be annihilated and is cast alive into the lake of fire for all eternity. Amidst all this battle, amidst all this war, this is the promise that God will not let it go on forever. In fact, he will bring it to an end one day. The greatest rebellion, a time that scripture says is unlike anything the world has ever seen, is no match for a God who rules over all. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12 really quickly. Daniel chapter 12 says this, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred, such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at the time, all your people will, who are found written in the book will escape. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to shame and in eternal contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about, and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. 
One of them said to the man dressed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, how long until the end of these extraordinary things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? He said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed up until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. From the time of the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. The one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days is blessed. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, then rise to your destiny at the end of the days. So in chapter 12, in the beginning of it, Daniel's vision concerning the Antichrist's intended destruction in the last part of 11 is tied into 12 verse 1, where Daniel learns that this time of distress or this time of tribulation um, is unlike anything the world has ever seen. And that's something to think about. Uh, Unlike anything the world has ever seen. Just back up and think about the last hundred years of horror and atrocities, of how people have been treated and abused. This is unlike a time the world has ever seen. Jesus alludes to this day of distress by using the same word, and Jesus is using the Greek word, but it's, it's the same word linguistically as being used here uh, in verse 1 of chapter 12 when he says this, for at that time there will be a great tribulation or great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. He says, unless those days were limited, no one would survive but those days will be limited because of the elect. It seems that Jesus is talking particularly um, here, you know, to disciples. And in the context of Daniel, it seems like the angel is giving a vision to Daniel about something that's going to happen to his people. And Daniel longed to be back and have um, Israel restored into the land. And he's looking for, God, what are you going to do about your promises related to Israel? And and, and I think here when it says your people in verse 1, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, is referring to the Jewish people. There's going to be a time of disaster and distress here. It will be cut short because of the elect. But it's going to be a time that will be very challenging. In, in Matthew's gospel, right around uh, those verses there, Jesus says, um, pray that it won't happen on a, on a Sabbath, which would have been a particular importance to the Jews because there's going to be a fling that goes into the mountains. This is a tribulation unlike anything ever seen. And despite the persecution, there are people in this time who turn to the Messiah, uh, I, I'm in a class on the prophets right now, and um, one of the things I've, I've realized more and more is I've been reading through, um, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, we're reading Ezekiel this week, um, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, all these books, is, is that 
there's some great verses in there. Zechariah talks about how one day the people will look on the one whom they have pierced. And he's talking about Jewish people who, who have basically looked upon the one who has been pierced, Jesus, and they've said he's not our Messiah. But one day they will look on the one whom they have pierced and they will look with eyes of faith. Despite this persecution, there are people who turn to the Messiah during this time. Romans 11 talks about how the Jewish people come as a nation. Let me just read it to you. Romans chapter 11 talks about this influx of the Jewish people. He says in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and following, he says, so that you will not be conceited, brothers. I do not want you to be aware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It is written, the liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, I don't fully understand how all that's going to happen. In fact, Paul comes to the end of it and he goes, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his paths, who's known the mind of the Lord, who's made counsel to him. I don't, I don't understand how all that happens, but there's something that happens at the end of the age where the, the hearts of Jewish people are softened towards the gospel and they look at Jesus and they say, yes, he is the Messiah revealed through the, the Hebrew Bible he is the one who has been pierced for us. We're getting ready to enter uh, Holy Week. We enter Holy Week today, and one of the great, great passages that comes is, is that Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. I love that passage from Isaiah, especially because um, when we celebrate Passover, we celebrate a, a messianic Passover a, a, at our house. We, we, we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover because as you look even at the matzah, matzah's bread, right? And it has these lines in it that look like stripes and it has these pokes in it um, that look like piercings. And even as you take of this matzah and you're reminded of the bread of life, you're reminded this is what Christ has done for me. This is what Christ has done for you. Back to Daniel really quickly. He, he comes in, um, in, verse, in verse two here. He says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. He's talking about resurrection here. And some will awaken to eternal life and some to shame and eternal contempt. This is a specific reference to resurrection in the Hebrew Bible. Notice that there is resurrection, but not all have the same experience. It's, it's described by those who have eternal life, a word that Jesus picks up on and uses a lot. And, and also, there are some who come to shame and eternal contempt. The place where we go to is not determined by what we do, it's not determined by the things we can do to make God happy. It's determined by the one whom we look on who is pierced for our transgressions. The place is determined by whom we look to in our distress. See, we were all once in distress. I, I, I love this because even in the middle of this, he, he's talking about the end of the age, but he's giving a gospel message. 
There's people today who walk in their own self-sufficiency, who walk in hostility towards God. And they don't have a relationship with God by faith in his son Jesus. And, and they walk in their own power. And God will say to them on that day, walk in your own power. At the end of the age when there's a resurrection, there's some who are raised to eternal life and there's some who are raised to eternal separation from God. And yet, that need not be so. Throughout the scriptures, for example, in Psalm 37, it says this, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord because he is their stronghold in the time of trouble. We were all once in distress. What separates whether or not we rise to eternal life or we rise to eternal separation from God is who is our strength? Who is our salvation? The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It says, the Lord helps them and he delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and he saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. Refuge is not something we earn. Refuge is someone whom we go to. There's a lot of us throughout the world who have sought to find refuge in things. We find refuge in a bottle. We find refuge in work. We find refuge in family. We find refuge in possessions. There's a whole number of places where we can find Seek to find refuge. What God is saying is, come to me. Come to me. You're carrying around all these burdens. You're trying to hoist them on your shoulders. You are never designed. You are never designed to walk independent from me. I don't know where you are at spiritually today, but I find this really encouraging because... For parts of my life, I've tried to think that I could somehow measure up to God. And the truth is, God loved me because he made me. God loved me because in you and in I, there is this image of God that Genesis talks about. And while we've experienced separation from God because we're born into a sin, we're born into a sinful existence in this world, we're born into our own selfish desires, we're born into our own wandering and waywardness from God, the reason we celebrate resurrection, the reason we celebrate Passover, the reason we celebrate Good Friday is because God inserted himself into this world that we might find refuge. Refuge is something we receive. Refuge is something we receive. It's not something we earn. It, it's kind of like going um, to a, a Christmas um, party, right? You're there with your family and there's gifts. You did nothing to deserve gifts, but your mom and your dad got you gifts. Your grandma and your grandpa got you gifts. Your spouse got you a gift. But the only way to make that gift matter is to open it up and receive it. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of finding refuge in the Lord. He delivers them from the wicked, and he saves them because they take their refuge in him. Daniel, I think, understands, and certainly in this vision, 
it's communicated, you can have life today. You can have eternal life by looking on the one who's been pierced for your transgressions and your sins and who's been raised to walk in the newness of life. Verse, verse 3 of Daniel chapter 12 says, Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forevermore. Daniel understood Daniel was being told here that the wise shine. The the wise is not someone who has it all together in their brain. The wise is not someone who has great amounts of knowledge. The wise are those who have fear of the Lord. And fear is not like, I'm afraid, although that could be in part of that word. They're people who revere the Lord, who understand who God is and what God has done for them. The fear of the Lord, the Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. And so we come to all this, and and really like chapter 10 and chapter 11 and chapter 12, they're all a part of this one vision. It just kind of goes and it goes and it goes. And we come to verse 4, and and Daniel is told, preserve these words, you know, or keep these words. Now it says, in my translation, it says, keep them secret, Uh, It doesn't mean um, like hide them and don't tell anybody about them because the reason these words are here is so that later people would come and read them. But, But he says, preserve these words, seal the book until the time of the end. The words that God has given to Daniel are specifically for a certain time. They're for a time of the end because in that time, as people read these words, they go, oh, it's making sense now. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been reading through the the book of Daniel and I go, what? (laughs) What? Lord, help me understand that because I'm not getting that verse. There's there's something like when we're reading through all the prophecies that took place in Daniel chapter 10 and part of Daniel chapter 11, where I think the people of that time, including Daniel, go, here's what's going to happen. I don't fully understand it, but where we look back from a historical sense, we go, oh, we see how this person lines up with what God said here and this person with what God said there and this person with what God said there. He he tells him to seal the book. Now, the book is not necessarily like a bounded book like this. It's a scroll. I think I have a photo of a scroll here for you. It's a scroll. And what they would do is they would write on the scroll the words that needed to be communicated. And what they would do is they'd then wrap it up and they would put wax or some sort of way to seal it on the edge there. And the reason they would do that is because they wanted to prevent it from being tampered with. They, They wanted to preserve it for the right audience, for the right time, and the right place. Daniel asks, as he's being told to seal up this book and that many will roam about and knowledge will increase, he, he, he's being told, um, or, or he says, how long until the end? Actually, it's one of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water, so it seems like someone else is saying that. How long until the end of these extraordinary things? And the man dressed in linen who's above the waters, he says that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. We'll hit that again when we come back to the book of Revelation. He says, when the, peop- the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. And so Daniel, he hears the answer to the question of how long until the end. And then he asks again, 
because he didn't understand. He heard, but he didn't understand. He says, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And he's not told again, or he's not given more information. What he's told is, go on your way, Daniel, for these words are preserved, or they're sealed in, in secret until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined. The wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. This kind of key into the wise again. And he's not given a date, only that in this vision, Daniel is helped, and he helps us, God's people, know how to make sense of the times in which they live. And one of the things he helps us understand is that oppression will not last forever. He helps us understand that even though days will be tough, there is a decreed time for distress, and it won't continue beyond that. Um, the wise will understand, and they'll understand these words because Again, the wise are people who look to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the wise are people who understand because they say, God, help me understand your word here. Father, help me to see with eyes of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand, God, how does this pertain to me? And how must I live in light of it? The how must I live part is kind of important. Uh, for all of our life. And, and I love how it says in verse 9 of chapter 12, after Daniel asks for some further clarification, he wants to know what are the outcome of these things. Um, the angel says, go on your way, Daniel. Daniel's a guy who's been given this amazing vision, this, um, this amazing revelation of a time yet future. But he's a man who's in his 80s. And he's a man Whose, um, whose time is coming to an end, but his time is not yet at the end. And, and the angel says, go on your way, Daniel. I, I don't know about you, but like, sometimes when I would ask my parents questions, they're like, how long? How long? When are we going to get there? As a parent, you go like, oh, would you stop asking the question? Just be in the moment. I think Daniel is being redirected in some way here he wants to know more. He wants to understand more. And God says, that's all you need to understand right now. What I need you to do is keep going. Go on your way. A, a way is not just a, a road or a path. A way is a, is a way of life. Um, earlier followers of Jesus were actually called the way because they followed the way after Jesus. Um, th there's some historical background to that. He says, go on your way, Daniel. You have all these questions, but, but go on your way. Go on your way. God gave him this vision so that people in the time of the end would better understand the things they see, uh, and especially so that during tough times they would not lose heart. Back to my story uh, in the beginning of being at school and not getting picked up. It can be really easy to get your heart and your mind confused of, will I actually be cared for? Will I actually be picked up? Will I actually be forgotten? Or will someone come to pick me up? God is saying, keep going on what I've given you to do. This isn't for you, Daniel. This is for the people who will come after you. And yet, keep going on what I've placed before you. 
It's not the only time or the only way that Scripture talks about keep going in what God has called us to be about. Jesus, in John 16, he's getting ready to go to the Father. He says, I have to go, but don't worry. I'm actually going to go, and we're going to send the Holy Spirit a counselor who will be with you. And he he talks about all these things that the disciples are going to face. And the disciples faced a lot of things. Um, Most of the disciples ended with very horrific deaths. In fact, if we were to kind of zoom out to followers of Jesus Christ around this world, there are parts of this world where people are just cravely and um, horrifically persecuted for the name of Jesus. We are so blessed, (laughs) but so are they. Because Jesus leaves these words to his disciples. He says, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Why? Because I have conquered the world. This is a needed reminder for us today, friends. In the middle of wondering, all right, God, when are you going to complete all these things? God, where, you know, where are we going to be with that? Which there's a whole bunch of scholarly and, and theological conversation about that in the world today. The words to Daniel are keep going. The words from Jesus are, you're going to experience suffering. Now, you're going to experience suffering. But be courageous. Take heart is what some passages translate it as. I have conquered the world. There's a, there's a sure confidence that comes with knowing that the Lord is in control. There's a sure confidence in knowing that the Lord is in control. The disciples of Jesus surely knew the stories of Antiochus Epiphanes and how he brutalized their people. These men did not see a future tribulation time unlike anything the world has ever seen. But they each saw their share of hostility because the walk of a godly person shines brightly in a godless world. It does. You may think the small things don't matter, but as the world becomes darker and darker and darker, as nations become darker and darker and darker, the light that shines from Christ living his life through you and I by the power of the Spirit burns bright. Burns bright. Whatever circumstances you and I face today, we need to heed the same message. Believer, take heart. Find your peace in the Messiah Jesus. Be courageous and go on your way. Follow Christ in whatever is before you and I today. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, the one who leads and guides us into truth. Trust him to begin and complete the work that he has started I love, Jesus says, I've told you these things, not to freak you out. He doesn't say that. I've told you these things so that you know everything. He doesn't say that. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Peace is always something we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. When we have peace, 
you know, a, a calmness in the midst of a sea of swirling around us. We can know, Father, you have me right where I am. I can trust you in the middle of this. This is a sure promise of God. If you don't have peace today, all you have to do is go to the one who brings peace. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You'll have suffering. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. God, I thank you that in the midst of all matter of chaos around us, we need not fear because you are with us. We need not be dismayed because your Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are in Christ and gives us the power for the life of Christ to shine through us boldly and brightly to the world around us. God, as we go on our way in just a few moments to the things you have for us this afternoon, and as we go on our way into the things you have for us tomorrow and into this week, all those things, Father, are in your hand. Help us to receive the grace and the mercy you have promised. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come boldly before the presence of our Father and receive grace in our time of need. Thank you for meeting us in perfect strength when we are weak. Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing truth to us. Help these words to continue to come alive to our hearts that we may learn in order to live, that we might have eyes of faith in this world. Father, through your Spirit, speak to us, each one here. Reveal to us what it means to go our way in the power of the Spirit today. God, we trust you to show us where our lives need to change and to better walk out of your grace. God, we trust you to go before us in a world. Convict this world of sin, Father, that they may turn to the one who is our refuge, Jesus our Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.